Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. We're here today with Stephen McNeil of StephenMcNeilMusic.com. McNeil with two L's. New record coming out soon, The Art of Repair. New single out now, Revealed. Find that anywhere that you listen to music. Stephen, thanks so much for hanging out today, man. Yeah, man. Glad to be with you. Now, we've known each other for a hot minute. We've Just a few years. We were in college together, then we were in a band together for a long time. And, uh, and so, I know a little bit of your story, but what... Like, you're like this music guy. Like, you've always been this music guy. What first got you into music? Man, listening to music. Like, my parent, nobody in my family, as far back as anybody can remember, played music. Okay. Uh, which is weird because my brother and I both turned out to be obsessive music nerds who made music their career. Um, but the one thing my parents always did, my dad would always say, the only thing I can play is a radio. And he did. Like, we listened to... A, like we we just listened to the radio mostly uh in the car but it was always like he would my parents would go through phases where it was like we would listen to like oldies like 50s and 60s pop like whatever that station was and then we go through a phase of like listening to like uh in memphis there's wrvr the river which was like you know kind of like your schmaltzier end of the of 80s pop music and like so there was there was like these and then we would end up listening to whatever the pop station was of the day. And uh, so they exposed me to a whole lot of music. And um, and they took me to concerts. We went to see the Beach Boys a lot when I was a kid. Right? And uh, and so we listened to that a lot. And I just, I got obsessed listening to music first. And, uh, and then we had a friend, a family friend who, he was a teenager and he had a drum set. We went to their house for dinner one night. And, uh, I just kind of like stood at his door and kind of like just stared a little bit and he was like, do you want to play? I was like, well, yeah. And it was all downhill from there. How old were you at that point? I was probably six or seven, probably seven years old when we went over to their house for dinner that night. I got my first drums when I was uh, eight, I think something like that. Around about that. I started with drums and then started playing other stuff after that guitar and everything. That's pretty unique that your family really weren't music people. Right. And then for you and your brother both to just really explode into music. and Because and, it's not just you playing music. Like, you listen to... Your, your music history mind is fascinating. I'm obsessed. But, I, like, I've been, I've been that way since I was a kid. I don't understand why, but it's like I, like, would sit down and listen to the same, you know, cassettes and CDs over and over and over again, and I would memorize the liner notes, and I would, like, all, like, even as a kid, like, I don't know why, like, that's a, that, looking back now, I see that that's kind of a weird thing for a kid, uh, but that was, like, it's my little dream world. Uh, so was drums, that was that your first instrument? Yeah. So I know you more as a guitar player. Right. 
So when did guitar come into play for you? A few years later. I was 11, I think, when I got my first guitar. My parents just got me a guitar for Christmas, I think, because they didn't know what else to get me that year. It turned out to become, like, my thing, you know, like, you know, my yeah. native instrument or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, so it was a few years later. Was that immediate? Like, you picked up guitar and you're like, oh, this is what I love? Or did it take a while to kind of rust the, the drums? It took a while because it was like, because I considered myself a drummer. Um, but I had a, a, a good friend growing up named Adam who lived down the street and we both got guitars kind of around the same time. And so I'd figure out a couple of, you know, like, Hey, listen, I, le- I learned the, like the first four notes of this Nirvana song and I'd show it to him. And then he would come back and be like, Hey, I, look at these, look at these three power chords. This is that song we heard on the radio the other day. And we kind of like just passed it back and forth. So it became like kind of like a friendship thing more than, you know, more than me trying to learn an instrument. It was just, we were kind of like buddying up, but with guitars, and, uh, so it took, it took, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And then I realized like, oh, like I love this. And I started, you know, coming up with little instrumental songs on the guitar and stuff. So, so at that point you're getting into your teenage years. And so were you, did you play at church? Did you, were you in a, were you in a band before even I knew you or anything uh, like that? Not really. No, like, well, so, uh, when I was in, eighth grade, I guess I've been playing guitar for a couple of years. They needed a bass player at church and I'd never played a bass before, but my dad through a weird series of circumstances and somebody he was working with was getting a divorce and they were selling off instruments. And so I ended up with this cheap $50 bass and basically figured out like if I play the lowest note of each chord, that's what they want. And so I started playing, playing bass there and then guitar and stuff like that. So that's really when I learned how to play with people and like, you know, I realized like the idea of like when you play music with people and for people, like it's a lot more than just a fun thing to do in your bedroom. You know, it, it becomes like, you know, more of a community experience. So getting here with Stephen McNeil, Stephen McNeil music.com McNeil with two L's and a PH. That's Oh yes, that's it, man. You've made oh, this difficult. Yeah, I always tell people I spell it. I spell it biblically. That's right. Yeah, a biblical Stephen yes. McNeil's not in the Bible. I don't think. No, it's not. Dot com. New record coming out. We'll talk about it in a few moments. The Art of Repair. New single, Rebuild, out now. So going back to your musical influences and all those things, do you remember the first record you bought with your own money? Yes. What was it? So I remember the first one, but there was like a trio of, of CDs that I bought all back to back. Okay. The first one was the soundtrack to the 60s Batman TV series. Remember? <laughs> like the Nelson Riddle arrangements. Yeah. Yep. That was the first one. But then like right after that, it was uh, Heart in Motion by Amy Grant and oh, wow. Classic Queen. Which is actually like what a random, right? What a wild trio of things. It, I know, like from my, like seriously, like that's me in a nutshell. Like it three really completely is. random records. Uh, but yeah, those those are the first three, and that that kind of tells you a lot about the way my brain works musically. So why why the Batman soundtrack? I liked Batman. Okay, like I was. I mean, I was like, this was you know, I was like again, I was like six or seven, and uh, if we were it like. Sam's or Target or somewhere. And you remember like CDs used to come like in the long containers? Mm-hmm. Like, cause they would set them in the shelves that were meant for records originally, but they were so low. So like they made, they came up with these long plastic things so that they would sit up out of the, the bin. Anyway. So yeah. So I saw the Batman thing. I was like, Oh, cool. And, uh, so I got that. And then this boogied, is boogied to my heart's content to the <laughs> Batman soundtrack. <laughs> This is super random. I'll look for it and send it to you later off the record. But I have a good friend of mine, Dave Bunker, who's in the music industry forever. Yeah. 
And in my garage right now, because I've got to take it back to him, long story short, uh-huh. is a platinum Amy Grant cassette tape. No way. Because he worked on the record. That is amazing. That, well, I, but I wonder if it's the one you bought. I'll look. It probably is. And like we'll it was like it was her like crossover breakthrough hit album with uh uh Baby Baby mm-hmm. and uh Every Heartbeat Bears Your Name. I think Charlie Peacock wrote that. Um anyways, yeah, it's great. It was a great, great album. I still have it. I still have all three Do of those. Do you really? Yeah, I still have all three of those. Yeah. All right. So who are your influences? As you're getting into music, mm-hmm. okay, you're playing drums by this point, you're Getting into guitar, you're playing more and more. Like, who are your musical influences as you look back now as to who you are today? Yeah. Uh, early on, it was, you know, a, a mix of like the stuff that we were listening to around the house and on road trips, uh, you know, like the Beach Boys, James Taylor, which kind of came back around and in, to play for this last record. Um, but then also, I got in, I got really into Led Zeppelin. Uh, I was pretty obsessed with Led Zeppelin for most of my teenage years. Uh, so, all that riff oriented, loud rock and roll. Um, I loved that stuff. Um, I got into a band called Caven's Call, which, you know, that I've been obsessed with for a long time. Um, when I was a teenager, I've kind of been a lifelong fan of them. And then kind of like a bunch of artists connected to them, Sandra McCracken and Andrew Peterson and, um, a lot of those folks, you know, all that kind of like melds into kind of a weird, you know, thing where I'm drawing from whenever I'm writing or whatever, but. A lot of those guys from the early days, a lot of those folks. And then, you know, later on, like, you know, your Paul Simons and Tom Petty's and stuff like that. So. All right. So I was excited about this question for you okay. because of your, your musical, how, how all over the place you are. If you could open for anybody dead or alive, oh, man. this is such an unfair question. It is. Who would it be? Anybody dead or alive, who would it be? Well, there's so many factors to this question because it's like, my first thought would be, well, who would be the band that I would most want to see? But the bands that I would most want to see would not want me to open for them. I would get, I would just get bottles thrown at me from the stage, right? If I'm, if I'm opening for the, the Beatles, right, in the mid-60s, like, all those teenage girls are just screaming. Like, I wouldn't be able to hear myself. They wouldn't want to hear me. It would be kind of miserable. Uh, but same- you're living in a world where... That doesn't happen. Okay. I'm living in a world where people are going to listen to me. Yeah, because you're living in a world where dead people can still play. Okay, yeah. All right, so it's a completely <laughs> fantasy world. Uh, well, then I would have to say it would either be um, just because of the pure concert experience of it. It would have to be either The Grateful Dead, which sounds weird. They're, that's another band that like their fans would would you know boo me off the stage because that means I'm taking I'm taking time up that they could be playing. Uh uh either either the Grateful Dead um or the Beatles probably because I mean who wouldn't want to be you know I take both of those right yeah 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 Get over here with Stephen McNeil Stephen McNeil music.com Stephen do you remember the first song you ever wrote? Yes. It was appropriately titled one it was an instrumental like i didn't i was very scared to try to sing anything for a long time um but i was like led zeppelin uh jimmy page did a lot of like instrumental guitar stuff and i was kind of obsessed with that so i came up with this little instrumental guitar thing and i finished it finger picking and everything um wrote it on that guitar and uh we uh anyway we had a school talent show 
uh, my 10th grade year of high school. And uh, so I played it for the talent show. And there was a local band called Gabby Johnson, who they went to my high school and they were the judges for the competition. And uh, anyway, I won the uh, the talent show playing my the first song ever. I'd only written one song. I hadn't written any more, just the one. And it was called One. And uh, <laughs> How old were you at that point? 15. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty great. Pretty great night. I felt like a rock star for an hour. So what's your songwriting process like today? Yeah. Um, well, I'm always doing what I call collecting seeds, you know, like if I'm reading a book and I see a phrase or a word that jumps out to me, I'll like, I've got like a, a, a note in my phone of like, oh, that's a cool phrase or that'd be a cool song title or whatever. So I'm kind of always collecting seeds like that or, or little guitar riffs and ideas. Uh, I teach private lessons, like music lessons. Uh, and so a lot of times when I'm just kind of jamming with a drummer or whatever, I'll make something up on the guitar and I'll be like, Hey, hold on a second. And I'll make a little voice memo of it. So I'm always doing that. And then I have times where it's like, I go through and I call, I call, and I'm like, okay, what do I have here? Like, and that one's not very good. Okay. That could work. And then I start seeing which pieces fit together and, uh, you know, kind of work it out over time. It's rare that I have a time when I like sit down and just write a whole song top to bottom, but it's kind of always working, working on the pieces. We said a minute ago that you used to only really write instrumental things. Yeah. What made you make the jump to say, you know, I want to, I want to go out there and, and put my voice behind it as well. Right. Uh, I was in college and I, and I wrote some really bad songs um, that were, you know, just sad and just whatever. Um, and then, you know, when we were a band, we, start, we started writing together and that was my, my first really like stab for real at like writing songs that were meant to be sung and were meant to be heard and that sort of thing. And so that was a lot of fun. So I started writing my own sort of things and I was, um, the church that I was a part of then I was, um, working with like the kind of the youth, I don't know, worship leader, uh, program there where they would kind of, uh, lead their peers in music uh, for their youth group meetings or whatever. And so I, I was kind of like working with them on like, you know, how to do church music well and have the right attitude and plan it well and tune your guitar and stuff like that. And, uh, so I, I, I'd written a few kind of more congregational sort of songs and, uh, and I, I tried them out a few times there. Like, you know, if a kid ended up being sick and I had to lead, um, I'd just sneak one of my songs in there and, uh, and it, it got a pretty good response. Uh, the, the better ones did. And, uh, so I started thinking more about that and, um, and then a few years later I was part of a church plant and we really started using a lot of those songs and I started really purposefully writing. It's still not even really for my voice, but just for the local congregation to sing, you know, songs that I felt like our church needed to be singing. And, uh, and it kind of, I kind of worked my way into it like confidence wise from there, you know, like as my friends were singing the songs and I was just kind of coming in for harmonies and stuff like that. I got to where I was a little more confident, uh, with the, uh, with the singing aspect of it, you know, it's, it's still like a struggle. It's something I have to really work hard at, uh, to be any, any even decent at, but, um, anyway, so this last, then the new record is all me. So the, the, the last two records were those kind of congregational songs. Um, and so I got a whole bunch of my friends, including you to, to help sing out, sing those songs. Um, and I only sing a few of them, but the new ones, all me, uh, which is a big, a big step for me. But, all right. Uh, well, tell us about so Art of Repair. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the record. It is, um, I guess, stylistically, it's more um, 
kind of acoustic singer songwritery sort of thing. Um, it has a lot of kind of uh, kind of folk and kind of old style kind of country influences. It's not like a country record necessarily, but um, it's it's kind of got some of those influences. So like you, you, I, I thought a lot about the kind of 70s Laurel Canyon sound, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, a lot of those folks, they were all kind of cross-pollinating, uh, just really beautiful acoustic-oriented music and harmonies and stuff like that. So it's kind of in that vein. Um, and the songs are all, I don't know, pretty personal. You know, like writing for, you know, a whole congregation to sing, you're kind of touching on bigger ideas and themes that we can all kind of sing together, ideas from scripture, stuff like that. These are more personal. Some of them are story songs that are kind of fictional or partly fictional. Uh, Rebuild is, is, is partly fictional. Um, and then some of them are more, you know, stories from just stories from my life, you know, kind of more observations and thoughts. Uh, you know, I think the past year and a half has been crazy for everybody. Something we all kind of share, uh, in common. And, uh, it put a lot of, uh, you know, we went through a lot of tests, I think as a culture, but also, you know, my family and I, and so it, it tested a lot of, a lot of friendships and, you know, uh, ways of doing things. And so a lot of these songs kind of came out of that, you know, like, what do we do? Like when things hit rock bottom, when things fall apart, what do we do? Do we, you know, run away or do we try to, um, rebuild, which is the, the kind of the idea of that song, you know, do we, we try to put things back together um, and sometimes you can't, you know, but, uh, that's, that's kind of the main, main theme of the, the record. There's a, um, a, a Japanese art form called Kintsugi where they take, they had like these pieces of pottery that they would use for like, um, these really, uh, like uh, solemn, like tea ceremonies in their, in their culture. And, uh, when they would break, instead of throwing them away, they would, um, get this lacquer that had gold flakes kind of laced in there and they would mend the pot or the, the bowl or the cup or whatever with this gold lacquer. So you see the cracks still like, like it doesn't, it doesn't like hide the cracks, but it like puts it back together. So you see this like a beautiful kind of vein running through it that it was like, it was shattered, but then it was put back together again. And so it's like, you know, becomes kind of a more of a beautiful thing um, than it was before. Um, so that's kind of like the hope, you know, with relationships and with, um, you know, dealing with heartache and loss and trauma in your life is like, is trying to not, not pretend like it never happened or whatever, or hide it, but like, you know, repair your life in such a way and, and work through that. And so that like you, people see the scars and they're like, Oh, like this is part of what makes this person who they are. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the idea of, uh, that kind of runs throughout the songs. I love that. He's, Steve McNeil with a PH and two L's at the end. Yes. Dot com. Stephen McNeil Music dot com. The Art of Repair coming out in October. October. Mm -hmm. And the new single, Rebuild, is out. Now, getting ready to wrap up here with a little rapid fire, Stephen. You got your game face on? I'm ready. What's the last Halloween costume you remember wearing? I uh, was. Uh, I was Willy Wonka. Oh, yes, I dressed up as Willy Wonka. So I was, it was like I have long hair, right? So yeah. I, I was kind of a combination between the Johnny Depp, uh, like I kind of look more Johnny Deppish, <laughs> but the the costume was more kind of of the traditional uh, Willy Wonka. It was a purple like suit jacket and I had a hat and the whole nine yards. It Love was it. Uh, it was pretty great. What's your favorite junk food? 
It's a toss-up between the uh, Hostess cupcake with the little cream filling inside uh, and the uh, the oatmeal cream pie. Oh, okay. I can yeah. Stay One, I, I rarely ever get either, but they're they're great. What was your first car? A 1998 Saturn SL1. It was a stick shift with no power steering. It was great. <laughs> I knew that car, right? Yeah, you did. That's yeah. right. Okay, that same one. If the toilet paper roll is really low, do you replace it or leave it for someone else? Seeing as how I like to preserve the uh, the peace in my family, uh, <laughs> you replace the roll. Uh, that's it. That's you. you yeah, you replace the roll with the with the with the thing coming over the front, not down the back. Right? You do oh, it the right way for your health's sake. Yes, for sure. Health and sanity. <laughs> what color is your toothbrush? Uh, it is a weird color green right, right now. Yeah, not it, because of mold. It's just it's. It was. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that color. Yeah. You replace that, right? In the movie about your life, the Stephen McNeil story. Uh-huh. Who plays you? Are we still in uh, alive or dead land? Sure, I'm okay. no dead here. I don't care. Uh, I've gotten a couple of times. People say that that I looked like Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. He had long oh, curly yeah. hair. He's dead now, which is sad. Um, and he. I don't think he ever acted at all. I was going to say what he's yeah, the yeah. Maybe he could take acting lessons for the Just movie for about my movie. life, right? Because, I mean, like, if he's awkwardly acting, that would be pretty pretty spot on for my personality. So, you know. I, I, had, I had Baylor Wilson on a few weeks ago, and she said Lauren Daigle. I was like, Act at all? What are you talking about? Hey, you know what? So maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe. I mean, uh, Jay, uh, do you know who Jason Isbell is? Uh, yeah, singer song. Yeah, he's in a new Scorsese movie. I mean, like he goes from nothing to Scorsese. So I mean, hey, that's fair. It's doable. That's fair. You have a time machine for one day. When and where do you go? A time machine for one day. Okay, I'm gonna give you a fun answer and not a serious answer. Okay. Uh, I would have to say. That I would, it, it's going to be one of two things. It's this is going to blow your mind, but I'm going to go to concerts here, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, it would either be uh, Madison Square Garden, 1971, to see Led Zeppelin, uh, or it would be somewhere uh, 1973 or 74 to see The Grateful Dead. Uh, some somewhere in there, and any of those shows will do because that was just that's my favorite era of Grateful Dead. It's one thing to be like, I want to go to see the Grateful Dead in concert. Right. It's another thing to be like, Madison Square Garden, nineteen seventy, right. whatever. I'm going to I mean, it's right here. That's that's, that's me. great. I hear you, man. I love it. Yeah. Favorite cartoon growing up? Um, you know, I was a big Ninja Turtles guy. Yeah. Yeah. Which one? My favorite was Michelangelo. Okay. Yeah. I was Donatello. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I had a Donatello costume one year because they didn't have Michelangelo. So I dressed up as Donatello for Halloween. It's pretty great. I'm trying to think if I ever had a, I think I had a Donatello costume at some point. Yeah. Can't remember. Do you sing in the shower? Not usually. I think in the shower. I like get lost in my thoughts in the shower. I'm the same way. Yeah. I just think. Yeah. Sometimes I dance, though. If I'm listening to music, I will dance in the shower, which is kind of dangerous. I don't dance in the shower. Okay. And last but not least, something you hate that everyone else loves. Um, you know, 
this okay, this is a little bit of a dated answer. It's fine. But I had several friends who were were telling me about this band and they were like, "Listen, you're going to love this band." Uh, our friend Josh Kubler is one of these people. No. He was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna love this band," uh, and I'm like, "Okay, why?" And they're like, well, they're, "They're like acoustic, they're like folky. There's a lot of energy. Like they have a banjo. Like it's kind of got a bluegrass element to it." I'm like, "All right, cool. What?" And I hear nothing, more people like, "Have you heard? Have you heard this band?" No, I haven't. You're gonna love it. I'm so excited. About I'm like, this great. Answer. And so, so like, and this is this is still you know this was uh, still in the age when like uh, streaming wasn't really much of a thing. You had to like buy music to download it. And I was like, "All right." I got all these recommendations from people that I, that I trust. And so I went and I bought the first Mumford and Sons album, right? <laughs> I downloaded it and I listened to it and I was like, I mean, it's cool, I guess. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see what you people see in right. it. Uh, like, I'm glad that you enjoy it. That My philosophy is kind of like, like what you like, enjoy what you enjoy. You know, I'll listen to Taylor Swift really loud in my minivan and I don't care. I love it. But uh, I just, I didn't, I didn't get on the Mumford and Sons train. I, I appreciate what they, what they, they did and, and do and whatever, but not my thing. I don't know. He's Stephen McNeil, stephenmcneilmusic.com. Stephen with a PH, McNeil with two L's. New record coming in October, The Art of Repair. New single out now. Everywhere you listen to music. Everywhere. Even places you don't. Even places you don't. New single, Rebuild. Everywhere you listen to music. Check it out. Steven, thanks so much for hanging out today, man. Yeah, man. It was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes.